Um, we are going to be in, speaking of Old Testament, we're going to be in Exodus this morning. You guys, I'm really excited about this. I feel like um, God has been unfolding this over the last few weeks for me. And um, I was sitting out on the porch with John on, was it Friday morning? Yeah, Friday morning. We were drinking coffee and enjoying the beautiful weather. And then I was started like just rambling like I do. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go. And I ran downstairs because I finally understood what it was that he was trying to say to me all along. You know, do you guys do that? It was rude. I did. I left him and the coffee. It was rude, but sometimes necessary. Okay, so some history on Moses. I, I'm not going to even act like you know anything about Moses. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says about Moses because I think that maybe the little cutesy cartoon movie, Prince of Egypt, Egypt might have got us a little off base and um, confused. Because it's actually not completely biblically accurate. <laughs> I know, Jeff, it's shocking. Everything I know about Moses comes from that movie. <laughs> so, here's the story. We know that Israel ends up in Egypt because of Joseph, right? Joseph comes to Egypt through slavery, as it turns out. And Joseph has, like, I'm like, seriously, you guys, this man's life. I mean, his brothers are against him. Everyone's against him. Joseph can't seem to get it right. He was a little bit arrogant about the prophetic, but whatever. Um, so he ends up being sold into slavery, and that's how he ends up in Egypt. But then God uses his prophetic nature to actually advance him to a high-ranking position in Egypt. He has great favor over his life after he gets through all the trials because he does end up in prison, blah, 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 blah. And um, But then God uses him in a mighty, mighty way. And Joseph is, it is like counted toward Joseph's life that he was, he was a business-natured man. He could see what was coming and create, like take the favor that was on his life, expand it for an entire nation and the nation of Israel. So it took care of Egypt and Israel for the coming famine. So God used Joseph in a mighty, mighty way. This is how Israel ends up in Egypt. Well, rulers die and they have successors. As the line went on, the question started to be asked, what's with these people? They seem to multiply. Right? And that was spoken over them. It was actually promised. It's part of the promise that they would be fruitful and that they would multiply, that they would become a vast people. It's part of the promise. But they're not in their own land. They're not in their own country. They're occupying another's land. So the reigning pharaoh at the time is getting a little miffed about these people multiplying on his watch, taking over. So he decides to call in the midwives 
the midwives for Israel, for the women of Israel, were Egyptian. And they were to kill, here was the order, they were to kill any male that was born at birth. But, and it's so interesting, I love it. So they report back to Pharaoh because he's ticked. Why are the boys still living? Why is the, why are the Hebrew people still multiplying? And, and their response to him is like, you don't understand. These women are vigorous. Like before I can even get there to help them birth a baby, it's a done deal because they know what they're doing. They were made to multiply. Not what we're talking about, but there is a word in that. These people lived by the promise. They were made to multiply. So that didn't work. So Pharaoh decided, fine. I'll send out my own military to kill off all of the male children under the age of two. At that time, Moses was born. And his mother looked at him and saw that he was a beautiful child. That's all it really says. Is that his mother looked at him and saw that he was a beautiful child. And so she went to great lengths to save him. She put him in a basket. And he was put into a river in hopes that as he floated down the Nile, someone from Pharaoh's house would rescue him. Now, little Miriam, Moses' older sister, anybody have an older sister? They tend to be bossy. I am one, I know. Big sisters tend to be bossy, and they, they tend to want to meddle. Well, that's exactly what Miriam is doing. She's like hiding behind all the things as he's going down the Nile to make sure he is in the hands. He is delivered into the hands of someone who will take care of him, right? And so we know that, that one of Pharaoh's, sorry, I didn't go this far. Is it Pharaoh's daughter? I, I don't even remember. Um, it, okay, Pharaoh's daughter, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter is the one who finds him and brings him in and she's like, I, I have to have this child. Listen, this is a daughter of Pharaoh. It's going against the order to have all of the, the, male, the male babies killed. She's like, this one's mine. And, and she raises it up as, as um, her own. And Miriam is standing there. Miriam's there. Listen, she is a busy body. Miriam's there. She's on the scene. She's like, oh, that's cute. That's cute, little baby. Right? She inserts herself into the situation. And, and, and Pharaoh's daughter realizes this is a Hebrew baby. Needs a Hebrew mama to come and nurse. And Miriam's like, I know just the one. Let me go get her. She goes and gets Moses' mom. This is insane. <laughs> so Moses' mom actually gets to have an effect on his life for two years. They... They nursed their babies for two years before they were weaned. Whew. I could say something about that too, but I won't. That's a, that's, that's a lot. Whew. Okay, Angie, move on. Okay, so 
Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house, right? He, he learns how to be a proper Egyptian child. However, the roots that were instilled in him in those first two years had to be great. So Moses went out among the Hebrew people. At this time, they were in complete slavery. They were in bondage and were severely oppressed by Egypt. And Moses is surveying things, and his little Hebrew heart is coming to the surface of his Egyptian being. He doesn't like what he sees. So he kills a man. He kills a man. And then in fear of being found out, he runs. He runs. He runs away from Egypt and he finds himself out in desert life and becomes a shepherd. He becomes a shepherd. Now we could say a whole lot about that part of his life too, but we're not going to. It's not what we're, it's not what we're talking about. Join me in Exodus 3. If you brought the Passion Translation only, sorry. It's not in there. Exodus 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Jethro. I'm sure love that name. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, I don't know, the mountain of God, also known as Sinai. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? I mean, anybody else in here respond the same way? Like, that's curious. Yes. Yeah. I'm the same girl who wonders why nobody followed Moses up the mountain. I realized they were going to die, but it's fine. My curiosity wants to know, like, why wasn't anybody trying? Oh. So he goes over. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God shows up. As fire. The fire isn't uninviting. This is really important. The fire is not uninviting. It's the opposite. It says it's all-consuming. Therefore, it's inviting. Is it hot? Yes. Fearsome? Yes. The fear of the Lord. Do you know it says in Isaiah 11 that the fear of the Lord is the one thing that Jesus would delight in? Delight in. Not just become curious about. 
He would delight in the fear of the Lord. The fire is inviting. Moses is drawn and terrified. Afraid to look at the face of the Lord. Yes? Okay. And he says in there, he tells him who he is. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is he doing this? Why is, why is God announcing himself in this way? He knows darn good and well that Moses has been raised by Egypt and not Israel. But he also knows that Moses' mother had two years to instill truth in him. She impressed upon him the promises, which is why God can talk to him through the promised ones, right? Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what is he talking about? We need to know. What is it that he's talking about? Why is he bringing up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We need to remember what it is that God said to Abraham in the first place. Do you remember? Don't worry, I have it written down. Yes. I will give you all the land that you can see. Your descendants will be as innumerable as the stars or the sand on the shoreline. When was the last time you sat around trying to count grains of sand? Did you say last week? And you will reign. Now, this is very, very similar to what God said about humanity in the beginning. Let's go there. Um, I need a bookmark because I'll lose my place. Um, so we're going to go back to Genesis, Genesis 1. Verse 28, God blessed them. So he just got done making man, right? And he saw that it was good. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then he said, reign over creation. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Take dominion. This is the charge from the beginning. This is what was spoken over you and I when we were spoken into existence. That we'd be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and reign over creation. Why do you think it's, it says that all of creation is waiting? Because creation was designed to be ruled over by you and I. So he's reminding him by saying, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I want to share something with you. And this is the part where I ran off the porch and, and downstairs to, to write. God was revealing to me something that, that took place in Abraham's life. God gave him great promise, right? And he's in Canaan. 
right? Pepper prayed this morning and it was so phenomenal because I was like, whoa, that is so good. Because we know that that's where Joshua was to get the people, right? Back to the promised land. But our forefathers are already occupied it. It was already there. And do you know when Joshua sends the spies in, they come back with, you know, the negative report about the giants. But then there were the two, or Moses sent the spies in. And the two, Joshua and Caleb, came back with the report of the very large fruit in the land. Why am I bringing this up? It's the same land. It was always flowing with milk and honey. Right? If it is subdued, if it is taken, if there is someone that will rule over it with dominion, it will supply all that we need. Well, Abraham gets himself into a situation where suddenly they're experiencing famine. And I've got to ask myself, how was Abraham refusing to partner with creation to bring about what it was that they needed? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves because we go through times of famine where things aren't going the way that we want it to. And we enter into whining before we do dominion. And nothing will usurp your power quicker than whining. It will lead you astray. So Abraham, this is his fix. This is his fix. He and his people start wandering toward Egypt. Because they had heard that there was plenty there. And his wife, Sarah, Sarai at the time, was beautiful. She's a lovely woman. And Abraham became fearful that they wouldn't be properly received in this foreign land. So he devises a plan. Sarah, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you over to be part of the harem of the ruler of the land. Abraham prostitutes his wife to another land, to another people. He prostitutes Sarah. For his own advantage, for the advantage of his people when he could have stayed in Canaan and taken dominion. Subdued the earth. We're called to reign over all of creation. And a Abraham gave up the promise. In fact, he expanded the promise into Egypt by prostituting his wife. This is crazy. And, and, and it opens our eyes to seeing how easy it is for us to get off course. I feel like this is what we do. Like God speaks. He says something. He comes near as, as a facet of his characteristic. And we take it as far as we can and fall off into the ditch somewhere. 
because we make it out to be something that it is not. We take things like the goodness of God, the message of the goodness of God, and we expand it into territory and prostitute it instead of regarding it as holy. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. It was a legal contract. There are there are spiritual contracts that we make oftentimes unknowingly. Abraham was creating a binding spiritual contract with Egypt by prostituting his wife because we are called to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The only way that he was capable of multiplying and filling the earth was through her. He gives his fruit bearer over to Egypt. So now Egypt and Israel are in legal, a binding contract spiritually. So when we wonder, how is it that Israel ends up enslaved in Egypt? It's because they became illegitimate children of Egypt through an adulterous affair between the two nations. It's intense, isn't it? Do you want to know why God's coming as fire right now? Because we have created legally binding spiritual agreements with lesser things. You want to know why he's revealing himself as a jealous God right now? Because we have entered into legally binding spiritual agreements with lesser things. We have prostituted The fruit bearers. I, and I'm not, I'm not heaping condemnation on you. I want our eyes opened. I want our eyes opened. What God is doing is completely untangling the mess that we have made. He raised up a Moses to deliver his people. But they had to be enslaved for a time because Abraham entered into a legally binding spiritual contract with Egypt. So he raises up a deliverer. He raises up a deliverer. God is raising up deliverers right now. And we don't much like them. You know? They're coming at us with all the heat. Making us wiggly. Making us want to, to raise ourselves up from that altar as living sacrifices. It's uncomfortable. 
But God is raising up deliverers right now because he's looking for a pure and spotless bride. He's after something. He knows what it is that he's after. He knows what he's after. He knows what we look like collectively. Moses is is a, a type and shadow of Jesus, right? He goes in to Egypt as a deliverer to deliver an entire nation from the stronghold of Egypt, from the strongholds of slavery. Let's just, let's keep reading. So do we understand why he's alluding to the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do we understand? Because there is promise that he's wanting to remind Moses of before he goes in. He's wanting him to carry those same promises in with him that this is who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are, Israel. Remember the promises that I've already attached to your name. So he's not just going in, and neither are the deliverers that God is raising up now. They're not just going in with fire, you guys. They're coming in with the knowledge of the promise. Okay, let's keep reading. Is this good? Okay. Oh, we went to Genesis. I need to turn back to Exodus. Very good. Okay, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, all of the ites. So because the Israelites cry for help, has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. That's important to keep track of. He has this encounter with God at Sinai. He shows up as a flame, right? An inviting flame, although terrifying. And the sign was going to be is that they were going to worship him at the same mountain. Wow, getting ahead of myself. Um, verse 13, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? 
what should I tell them? Do you see what's going on here? He is, he's combating roots. He's combating. He's, he's raised up by the hand of Egypt and knows a little bit about his Hebrew roots, right? So he's got, he's having this internal wrestling match. He's contending. Who am I? And who are you? Because how can I know myself unless I know God? So tell me, who are you? When we get into situations that have us freaked out and everything in us is responding, you know what I'm talking about. Everything in you is having a response to the scenario. So often we give way to that when we should be saying, tell me again, who are you? I think it's the one question God is just delighted to answer. Let me tell you. Remember Job? Talk about problems. Where were you? Right? I love, I love the end of Job. God putting himself on display. And he does it here too. God replied to Moses, I am who I am, in all caps. Which means he's screaming, right? Texters. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Wow! See, because he knew that Moses might not completely understand. We go before we know, right? Moses may not completely understand who it is that God is, but Israel knows. Israel knows. And he's declaring, say that I am sent you, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and remind them that I am always who I say I am. Complete with the promise. Wow. 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 What will we do if the deliverers that God is raising up right now turn their backs on the flame? I'm going to tell you right now what it feels like to be me. I feel... Like I'm in a game of tug of war between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man, and I'm the rope. That's what it feels like to be me right now. I need your help. I need your help. I need to give way completely. I need the fear of man to let go. Let go. So that I can delight in the fear of the Lord. Let go. That's what I need right now. What would happen? What would happen if Moses, the deliverer, was like, no, you're too scary. No, I don't understand what's going on. So I'm just going to run. 
would happen? Israel would have remained in bondage. Or he would have raised up another. And he does that. He does that. Tell them that I am sent you. Then he says this. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, all the ites, the, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, please, let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. He's so specific in instructions. So specific. Go assemble the elders of Israel. And then together, go to Pharaoh and tell them, that you're going on a three-day journey to sacrifice to your God. If you don't have the specifics, get them. You know? Get them. He hasn't stopped talking. You know? He's still the one who comes close and talks to us. Just might be a little fire than you're used to right now. You know? I mean, it is. It is. I've been rattled lately. You know? It's fine. We're going to be fine. Enter in anyway. Get the orders on your life. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go even under force from a strong hand. Like he continues. If that wasn't enough, he tells them. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that he will let you go. And I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. So you will plunder the Egyptians. He is the God who has thought of everything. He has thought of everything. I think that in our minds, we have created this chasm between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Jesus didn't do what Jesus did to change God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you think for one second that he is not still the all-consuming fire, you have missed it. You've missed it. Don't miss it. He's still kind. But do you know what he, how he uses his kindness? Do you? I mean, do you really know how he uses his kindness? To lead us 
back to repentance. To lead us back to himself. To lead us back into a higher position. We are still co-seated. See, everything that Christ has done still applies. It is still finished. But he's raising up those who will go and occupy the land. Who will be the ones who will multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and reign? Where are my kings at? Where are the kings at? Where are the reigning ones? He's still love. But let me just put it to you this way. We are riddled with fear. And not the fear of the Lord. We are a people that are riddled with fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. If we think for, for a second that this perfect love doesn't show up in a force and ferocity. Guys, the fear that I deal with needs perfect love to come at me. How about you? Yeah? Like fear over finances, fear over friendships, fear over this, fear over that. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. We are so riddled with fear. We need perfect love to come at us, to drive it away. We need perfect love to come and prove that we are no longer our own provider. Do you know that in all of creation, in all of time, we were never set up to be our own providers? Never. That's not a new covenant thing. He has always set himself up to be the provider. Always. Always. Are we to work the land? Yes. Yes. Do we work? Yes. Yes. So, he tells Moses exactly what to do, right? And he tells him, you're going to do this, but you're going to come up against some resistance. But don't worry, Moses. I will come in my fullness, and I will release miracles, signs, and wonders. We know that Moses turned an entire body of water into blood. Right? We know... What else do we know? We know that his staff turned into a snake. Snake. We know that mosquitoes were invented. <laughs> if you ever wanted to know why. Anyway. Um, like God unleashed the fullness of who he was in this space. Right? And, and then... 
Pharaoh will let you go. Then Pharaoh will hear and listen. And I think by the time things were all said and done, Pharaoh was like begging them, please just get out of here. I can't handle anymore. Because remember, it got to the point where the sons of the Egyptians were also killed. And he tells them, you're not just escaping Egypt. Okay, this is really important. Stay with me. I'm almost done. Just stay with me. God wasn't asking Israel to escape Egypt. How many of you in the last 30, 60 days have been like, Lord Jesus, can you just come back? The spirit of the bride say, come. If your eschatology has escapism as part of it, you need to turn back. Okay? We have work to do. God didn't send the deliverer in so that Egypt or so Israel could escape Egypt. That wasn't it. So if you're in a space right now, and I'm sorry things are that hard, I really am. If you're in a space right now where you're like, just please take me, you guys, heaven right now is not a permanent place. It's not. Right? He's folding the whole gig up and creating everything anew. You aren't made to occupy heaven. In the sweet by and by. Like it's kingdom now on earth, heaven here now. So your escapism mentality is fruitless. Because I have a feeling that the great cloud of witnesses are in the room. Right? Those who escaped are with us. They're the ones who are standing here going, come on, get it. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. Let's expand the kingdom. Let's do something. Right? We know that in Hebrews, it tells us about those who went before us how they're standing and waiting to see what the sons and daughters of glory will do. So get rid of your escapism. <laughs> Stay. Stay. Occupy. Right? Let's, let's do what we were made to do. So it's not escapism. There was intention behind what they were doing, you see. Because remember that Abraham entered all of Israel into a legal and binding spiritual contract with Egypt. And he did so out of fear, right? But it caused great oppression to come over Israel. And they were illegitimate children of Egypt for many, many years. But here's the deal. No matter what the enemy can throw at us, no matter how tightly bound we can be to something that we accidentally entered into, 
he owes us. Israel plundered Egypt on their way out of town. Israel took everything Egypt had on their way out of town. Right? Everything. They took everything with them. And we know, we know what that looked like. It was a, a, a pillar of fire and a cloud, a glory cloud. My goodness. Do you know who it was that, that led the procession out of town? Miriam. Miriam. Yeah, Miriam with her song. It's a, it's a family of prophets, turns out. So they do take the trip. And we know, we know how the story goes. And we're not really talking about the enemy being swallowed up. The enemy's been swallowed up. Right? The enemy has indeed been defeated. However, we have opened the door. We've opened the door in fear, right? And we need God. We need God to be who he wants to be right now. We need him. We need him to be who he wants to be right now. Fire come. Burn up everything that is within me that is that's binding me to a accidental I'll give you that. Legal contract that has me bound. We need him to come as the great judge. We do. We need him in this capacity right now. You guys, this is what this is what I really think. Like, look what all he just did, just in this small story. In this small story, an entire nation is delivered. An entire nation in dramatic form. Whatever your issue is, whatever problem you're facing right now, you need God to be the judge over your life right now. Don't fear him in that capacity. Run to him in this capacity. Run to him. Let him be the one who all of your issues and your illegal spiritual contracts are dealt with by. Wouldn't you rather be him than a judge of the earth? I think this is what we're going to see. I think that we are going to actually, because of the way that he is coming and drawing near to us right now, I think that we are actually, as we press into this, we are actually going to see very big issues in our nations overturned and possibly not even by ways of justice that we understand. His justice is not ours. It's not. 
He, he, he does things in ways that we can't comprehend. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. We need him in this capacity right now. This is what I know. I, I want us to be a people that just recognize this fire. Right? There's going to be a lot of things that take place over the course of the next bit of time. And we will wrongly judge them if we do not see his fire. We will. We're so afraid of God being the judge, but boy, how do we love being the judge. Let us be those who are recognizing the fire, even in the midst of being terrified by it. That's, that's, that's a right heart posture to be terrified of him in his fullness. It is. It's a right heart posture for us to be like, <gasps> right? But don't take it so far that you end up in the ditch, right? Don't run from it. Don't turn your back on it. Turn and face it. Draw me into your flame, right? Because the judge, God, the judge is so righteous that he can deliver entire nations from the grips of their oppressors. That's the kind of judge I want to be under, right? And not just deliver them as in they've escaped, but there is a plunder. If you have been held in oppression's grips in any measure, there is a plundering. There is. You're owed. So instead of arguing over the way that God is showing up today, just enter into it. I want you to have the plunder. I want that for you. Do you want that for you? I want that for you. And really, some of us need to investigate our, our, our family line. You can go, you can go and start asking Holy Spirit, show me some things. And you're going to find out just how much you are owed. The enemy has been defeated, but the enemy is also still in the business of stealing, killing, and destroying. Defeated. But don't you know that it's us who prove his defeat? It is by our actions that we prove just how defeated he is. We've entered into partnership with this defeated enemy. When we should be standing with him underneath our feet. Because we know whose we are. And right now you need to re-familiarize yourself with who he is. Make room for him to be who he wants to be right now.
Yes? Okay, just let me peek at my notes. I'm almost done. Yeah, I think we'll just we'll just end there. And I just want you to examine. This is one of my favorite questions right now. I want you to examine where you are in proximity to the Father right now. Where are you in proximity to the Father right now? Are you hiding from him? Perhaps perhaps you have a hang up. Perhaps you have a sin issue. Where are you in proximity to the Father? He's not rejecting you. You might be rejecting you. But he's not. On my way to church this morning, God said to me, my bride is is anemic. My bride is anemic. Now, this is something that I understand because I um, was anemic after giving birth to Dylan. Thank you. He's very sick. Very sick. So I know, I know what this feels like to be anemic. You know, God talks to you in ways that you can understand. He's like, my bride is anemic. And instantly I remembered what that felt like. I was very, very lightheaded, lifeless. We've filled ourselves so full of other things. It's taking up all the room and we have blood loss. We need a transfusion. We need the blood of Jesus. We need a better understanding. We need revelation of the blood of Jesus. What all does that mean? Talk about plunder. Wow. We need a better understanding of the blood of Jesus. If we we could just lay hold of even a quarter of the picture of all that has been done on our behalf, we would stop screwing around. We need to stop making light of what it is that he's done. But in order to do that, we've got to have a transfusion. Will you, can you bring that up here, the communion? We're going to do communion. And here's the deal. There's a couple different ways that you can enter into communion. Instead of doing this corporately this morning, as though we're sitting around the Lord's table and enjoying a meal with him, I want you to take account of what's going on within you. Where are you in proximity to the Father? Thank you, Vince. Where are you in proximity to the Father? And that's only a question that he can answer. So just take the time to ask him, where am I?
Maybe there's a returning. Maybe you need to return to your first love. I don't know. Just ask him, search me and reveal to me where am I? I recognize that I need a blood transfusion. You know, that it, it, scripturally, when it does say that the that the spirit and the bride say, come. That's actually not about escaping. It's about proximity. So let's turn from that old mentality of, I need to get out of here, this sucks, to come close. Fill me with your blood and come close. I need him. I need him. So here's what we're going to do. Pepper, I want you to come. And Pepper's going to... Pepper's, Pepper's just going to do what Pepper does. I don't need to, like, explain it. But I, 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 she's just going to fill this room with intercession. Pepper has a, a way of just getting in the flow of Jesus. Because you know he's interceding on behalf of us all the time, right? And Pepper has the ability to stand in that and just let it be released through her. And so she's going to come, and I, I can guarantee you this is going to have a whole lot to do with the blood of Jesus. But as you feel prompted, get things right. Get things right between you and Jesus. Thank you. And then when you feel ready, come. And here's the deal. Scripture tells us that some of you are sick because you have not rightly regarded the Lord's blood and the Lord's body. So perhaps you need to get things right with somebody in the room. I'm not saying you do. I am just making us aware of the possibilities, okay? Good morning, Elohim. <laughs> Did she call me a bad name? No. <laughs> Elohim is the Old Testament Hebrew word for God. So when I say, good morning, Elohim, I'm not talking to God. I'm talking to you because he is the Elohim and we are little Elohims. He is the king of kings. He is the Elohim of Elohims. And so when I call you little Elohims, I only use the word little because I'm comparing you to him. But on the earth, I don't use the word little. You're big Elohims on the earth. And so before we enter in to prayer, Get in your position. That's what we need to be every time in our position. Your Elohims, your kings. And so as one Elohim to another, I tell you, know who you are. 
because you have special favor. See, I'm married to Jonathan, and he puts up with a lot from me because I got special favor. He might not put up with it from you, <laughs> but see, I got special favor. <laughs> you got special favor with Elohim because you're in the royal family line. Forget talking about being a PK, a preacher's kid. You're a KK. <laughs> you're a king's kid. So know your position. Come to him knowing who you are. I got in trouble at school, but guess what? I'm a KK. <laughs> so you know what? I got some special favor. <laughs> I also have some special responsibility because I'm a KK. So I can't act like everybody else because I am a KK. So I want to rightly receive you. And you need now to rightly receive him. I had what I'll call a night vision once. And Jesus was, he was huge. He was huge. And his eyes were fire and they were twirling. And he hugged me, but I couldn't hug him back because he was so big. In Song of Solomon, it says he has dove's eyes. Isn't that beautiful? But we go over to Revelation, and he's got eyes of fire. So when he has dove's eyes, he's beautiful. When he has eyes of fire, he's still that beautiful God of love. He's so many things. He's wind. He's rain. He's fire. He comes as a dove. He comes as a lion of the tribe of Judah. But we sang this morning, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. So when he comes like a dove, he's just. You're beautiful. When he comes like the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's just. You're beautiful. When he comes like the lamb, you're beautiful. So Jesus, we, we come in our position and in the favor we have as little Elohims in comparison to you. We come in our position and we tell you, we receive you in whatever posture you come to us. We say you are beautiful. You are beautiful and that your throne is established on righteousness and justice and everything you do is just. The way you do it is just. The way you love is just. However you come to us, we receive you. We receive you. We receive you. We appeal to your blood. Whatever is going on in our hearts, we appeal to your blood. Whatever we cannot overcome, we appeal to your blood because you, he's given us a bargain. And he's not a bargaining God, but this is one bargain he's giving you. He said, you know what? I'll give you my all for your all. My all for your all. My all for your all. 
and that's it. But that's good. Who doesn't want all of God? You ever tell your loved one who you love with all your heart? You're a little bit much for me to take right now. <laughs> sometimes we love God and sometimes it's God. You're a little bit much for me to take right now, but I love you. <laughs> I love you. So, Lord, when you become a little bit too much for us to take, we just elevate ourselves out of our fleshly realm and we go back to being Elohim. We go back to being Elohim to the Elohim, to our Elohim. We plunge ourselves into that cleansing blood. We plunge ourselves into that cleansing blood. And we're going to symbolically and prophetically eat your flesh and drink your blood. Because you said if we don't eat your flesh and we don't drink your blood, there will be no life in you. Do you want life? Then eat all of him. You know, there's a, a phrase, eat the meat and spit out the bones. I'm telling you, eat the bones. Because you know what's in the bone? The marrow. And do you know what's in the marrow? It's your blood. You ever heard of needing a bone marrow transplant? Because the life is in the blood. So eat the bones. Don't just eat the flesh and spit out the bones. Eat all of him. Eat all of him. They got offended. Do you know that the Pharisees got offended? It repulsed them that he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But he never backed off of that. We have to eat all of him. Lord, we take all of you in. Our palate, there are things about you that our palate just can so easily receive. And then sometimes you're like the Brussels sprouts we don't like. Or you're like the spinach we don't like. But you're the iron in our blood. We need all of you. We don't need you as dessert. We need you as dessert. We need you as the appetizer. We need you as the meat. We need you as the bread. We need you as the water. We need you as the lion. We need you as the lamb. We need you in every facet that you come to us. We need you in every facet. It's been said that the angels around the throne, they constantly say, holy, 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 holy. And it's been said that they say that because by the time they get one holy, one round of holy out, they're seeing another facet of God, even out throughout eternity that they've never seen before. And so throughout all eternity, He's such an unlimited God. We're going to see facets of him eternally that we've not seen before, even in heaven. And we just cry, holy, 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 holy. You know, there are seasons when everything we touch, it turns to gold. It's favorable. It's like we, we're just floating on grace. It's like we can't do anything that doesn't work out, and we just cry, holy, holy. Holy. And then we go through seasons where we're plowing the ground and we're beating the ground. And 
and he says, go some more. And we get tired. He says, go some more, go some more. But in that season, we cry, holy, 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 holy. So in this place, cry with me, holy, 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 holy are you, God. Holy, 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 holy. We consume all of you, and you consume all of us. We consume all of you, and you consume all of us. And we cry, holy, 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 from our right position, from our right position as Elohim, as kings, because we have a great responsibility to mankind. We have a great responsibility that is beyond ourselves because we are leaders, because we are kings, because we are priests, because we are Elohim. We are ambassadors. We are more than mere man. So we don't act like the commoners. We don't act like commoners. Not because of who we think we are, but because of who you have made us. That's who you made us to be. Guess what? I am because he am. And I know that's not grammatically correct. <laughs> but I am because he am. And you am because he am. And he's so much. I am. You want to, you think it can't get greater than that? He's, he's the I am who is. He's the I am who was. And you know what? He's the I am who is to come. He's everywhere. I am is everywhere. You can't escape him, so just give in because he's everywhere. He's everywhere. If I make my bed in hell, the psalmist said, he's even there. So forget escaping to heaven. If you can't escape to hell, you ain't going to escape to heaven either. So stand in your position. Take your rightful place. And when your flesh says get out of dodge, you say, I can't. I'm a KK. I'm Elohim. They're looking at me. They're looking to me. I'm the answer. I'm the solution. I'm the I am. Thank you, Jesus.